good morning again, everybody. I made some uh, not-so-bright moves this week. Uh, I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to get me fired, uh, but uh, just not smart. Uh, not smart. Like, I think one thing that I'm going to share was a good thing. It really was. In fact, it's not just a good thing. Like, really, it's a great thing. Um, I took my kids to the dentist this week. That's a good thing. You should take your kids to the dentist. If you don't have any, just plan on it because cavities are not good and you only get two tries at this, like the baby teeth and then the real teeth. But after that, like, you're stuck. And we had great conversations about, you know, health and proper brushing techniques and candy and cavities and all kinds of, you know, flossing is a good thing. Flossing's your friend. I mean, great stuff. But my not-so-bright move... I scheduled this from 4 to 5 on, on Halloween. Yeah, yeah. It was that. Man, if I had a nickel for every time I said, what's well, called stupid this week. Uh, I think I'm just going to stop there. But, ooh, two hours before it gets dark, and my kids are going, I have to get fluoride? Can I still eat candy? Do I have to brush my teeth? Like, Dad, why did you do this? And I'm like, uh... So the dentist was a good idea. I really think it was. I think it was a great idea. And maybe my motives weren't awesome. Um, I guess I'll have to talk to you a little bit more about that. But have you ever had and asked for the right things and even done the right things, but maybe not with the right motives? Or maybe you did the right things with the right motives, but wrong timing. We'll have a support group after. Because <laughs> we could talk for a long time, I think. Not about you, more. Anyway, so what, what I want to ask, and I, what I think the Bible asks us today, is, is what's God's response when we ask for the right things, but we ask at the wrong time or with the wrong motives? So to pick that up, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 8. That's where we're going to start. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. There's some good stuff there. Last week, we looked at two actions that we should do to remain close and right with God according to this story that we've been looking at in this book of Samuel. The book of Samuel is, is about this guy who's the last prophet. He's the last judge that's kind of been in the area from this time of the judges. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible story, Moses led the people out of Egypt. God led them. Moses was supposed to do that with him. Um, and mostly did that well, and along the way they had some stumbles, and they end up in the promised land with Joshua, Moses' successor, and Joshua gives the people over into the land and says, drive the people out, and these judges kind of came in after that with mild success, and now we're transitioning into a, a new time, and so last week we looked at two actions to remain close and right with God. One, we need to get rid of the false things that we worship, which means like the things that we put our hope in that are not God. We just need to get rid of those things. And then two, we need to make stuff, celebrations, monuments, reminders, to remind us of how God has helped us. So last week we had a, a large stone, and you wrote all the things and all the ways that God helped us. Uh, and, and we sometimes forget to keep God first, and we sometimes forget the ways he's helped us, and that's totally what happens in the story. Samuel 
leads the people faithfully his whole life, and then he kind of forgets that God appoints the leaders. And he sets his sons up to be judges, but his sons are bad dudes. They, they pervert justice. And so the people are like, we don't want them. In fact, what we want is we want a king. We want a king to lead us and guide us like all the other nations have. Now, is it bad to have a king? The people um, that have studied this over and over, lots of them say, you know, it was really wrong for these people to want a king. God didn't want anyone to have a king, didn't want the Israelites to have a king. God wanted to be their king. That's just wrong. It was the wrong thing. And you know, sometimes when we forget that God's helped us in our life, I think we'd have to admit that we ask for wrong things. But sometimes we're right with God and we still ask for the right things, but for the wrong reasons or in the wrong time or with the wrong motives. And so we have to look at, you know, here for these people, is this asking for the wrong thing? Well, I think in earlier, like Genesis, for example, God tells the kind of the person who starts this idea of having a a relationship with God, this faith promise, this covenant, Abraham, the guy who started with God in the beginning, uh, not the very beginning, uh, Abraham says, I'm making a promise with you. God says that to Abraham. And he says, uh, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be the father of many nations. In fact, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, meaning the father of many nations. And nations will come from you. Kings will come from you. Positive affirmation towards kings. Uh, in Deuteronomy, one of the books about the law, as Moses is telling the people about the law, God says to Moses, hey, when you come into the land and when you ask for a king and say, let us have a king over us like the other nations have, God doesn't say, that's bad. He says, be sure to pick the person God chooses. Again, maybe this isn't a bad thing. Maybe this is actually the right thing, but maybe it's for the wrong reasons. And that's exactly what we see in the story. The people say, we want a king over us. And Samuel says, oh, this is not good. And he gives them all the reasons why they should not want a king and all the things that are going to happen. And maybe you're a young person or you're not so young, but you still have parents that like to tell you what to do. Um, and, and they like to tell you when you're about to make a decision and you ask for their advice um, or you bring up a topic and they just share advice, <laughs> uh, they give you all the reasons why that's a bad decision. And that's what Samuel's doing. He's telling the people all the reasons why they shouldn't choose this. The king's going to be selfish. He's going to take their kids and um, take them to war. He's going to demand part of their tax dollars. He's going to demand part of their food. It's not going to go well. And the people say, much like I think we do as children, (laughs) I don't care what you think. We want a king. And it says, we want a king over us, then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go before us and fight our battles. And so here, now, we have the real reason. Aha! Their motives are kind of exposed, if you will. We want to look like everybody else. These other nations have kings. We want to have a king. Except God told them way back in Exodus, 
you are my treasured possession. You are a special people that are going to be set apart. And actually, because you're set apart and you have a relationship with me, everybody else is going to kind of look to you to be the model nation. And they will be blessed through you. No, we don't want that. And they want a king to lead them into their battles. Problem with that is that God had said, I'm your warrior. I will fight your battles. And over and over in the Old Testament, if you read the Bible closely, you'll see that this isn't just a warmongering people. This is God causing calamity in, in the camp often. And the people, the, ev- the evil people, often like killing themselves. Yes, there are battles, and yes, some of them are bloody, but more often than not, God causes this confusion. And in the process of that, he comes out as the warrior. And these people were saying, we don't want to do that. We want a human being, this leader, to fight those battles. I don't know about you, but if I think about that for a few minutes and I think about my life, and you think about your life, I think this speaks to us. I mean, how many times do we choose the right thing with really the wrong motives? There may have been a time in my past, long, long time ago, that I went to church because I wanted to impress a girl rather than get close to God. I see a few head nods out there. Um, But that's just easy. Sometimes we lie to get out of trouble, which may be just a wrong thing. But sometimes we don't lie. We actually are telling the truth, but really our reason is to make ourselves look better. We want to put ourselves in a better light, don't want others to know maybe the full story. We haven't done anything wrong. We just don't have the right motives. If we think about why we do the right thing but for the wrong reasons or with the wrong motives, I think we find a deeper meaning behind that. I think for some of us, we're scared. We're scared at what being vulnerable would look like. Maybe we're scared of rejection. Maybe we're scared of you know, someone knowing the truth. And so it's really easy to just run really fast in our life and not think about that. Not think about the deeper reason to why we do the right thing, but maybe for the wrong reason or with the wrong motive. But sometimes God can really speak profoundly if we wait and reflect. Like that whole freedom and justice for all things, sometimes it really does mean we want freedom from rules and authority. Not, well, for all, but really I mean for me. I don't want someone to tell me what to do. That's why maybe when our parents tell us something, we say, I don't want to learn from you. I'll figure it out on my own. Even though we're going to go through a lot more pain when that happens, regardless of our age. And, and eventually, God loves us so much I think a lot of times our motives are exposed. He eventually finds out, someone close to us might eventually find out, like we find out in this story, their motives are exposed. And I think God allows us to go through some stuff that we desperately want, even if it's a right thing, even if it's a wrong thing, but he allows us to go through that because sometimes the best way we can learn are some natural consequences. God wants to, God knows us. He created us. He designed us. He knows these people. And don't we see 
in story after story after story in the Bible of people having to go through some not-so-fun stuff so they learn to trust God. I don't think it's that different here. So when we think about all that, what are, what are the God's people really saying by this? By this idea of, of we want a king? What do we say when we do the right thing but for the wrong reasons? Isn't saying, I don't want to be exposed, I don't want to be vulnerable, I don't, I don't want to look bad, or, or maybe just, I don't really trust you, God. I don't maybe really think your way is best. And the cool part is that in the midst of that, wherever you're at, whether it's you've done the wrong thing, or you've done the right thing but in the wrong way, or you've done the right thing but with the wrong motives, God's in control the whole time in the story. And I think God's ultimately in control way up high over our lives. Yes, we still have choice. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, think about it. If you look at the story... So the people say, we want a king. And Samuel's like, okay, go home. He doesn't know where the next king is. He doesn't know who the next king is. He's, he's not sure what to do. So he's like, uh, go home. I mean, maybe secretly he wants the people to change their mind, but they don't. And so it, then the story just shifts. And it's like, once upon a time, there was a man in a land named this. And then he went off to do something. And, and, this, and Samuel, the prophet that we've been looking at over chapter after chapter, he has no idea. None. All, this, all he knows is this, that, that the Lord said on one random day, how did he say it? We're not really told. Uh, maybe it was in a dream. Maybe he had a face-to-face with an angelic visitor. Maybe he just had a hunch. I don't know. We just know that somehow God told Samuel, about this time tomorrow, I will send a man from the land of Benjamin. Benjamin is one of the tribes of Israel. You're to anoint him to be the leader of my people, Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and heard their cry. That's all Samuel's got. So he's going through his day, not really sure how this is going to happen, just knows that one thing. That's all he knows. Well, how is he going to get a, land from ben, a, a, a man from the land of Benjamin to run into Samuel? Because uh, his dad lost some donkeys. And that's, that's what happens. Like, it, the story says, once upon a time, there's a wealthy, influential man. His, his name was Kish, and he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Oh. And not only that, his, he was the son of Abiel, and the son of Zeror, and the son of Bekareth, and the son of Aphath, from the tribe of Benjamin. All these people that if we really cared about our Jewish lineage, we would go, oh, we know those names, we can track that, this is legit. That's what that's saying. His son, Saul, was, that's a name you should remember, was the most handsome man in Israel, a head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Now, I just remember being, reading this story in Sunday school as a kid going, man, I wish I could be him. Wish I could be a head and shoulders taller than everybody else at four seven when I was like in sixth grade, um, and I wish I could be called the most handsome man in the land. Sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Not being able to shave consistently till twenty two, but that's probably too much information. So 
we'll just, we'll just say he's wealthy, he's influential, he's tall, he's handsome, he's kind of got it all. He sounds like he's going to be on The Bachelor, but not the point. The point is that one day his dad loses donkeys, and he says, son, take your servant, go find the donkeys. And what do the donkeys do? Oh, I don't know. They just happen to meander into the land sort of by Samuel. And they're like, we can't find the donkeys. I don't know what we should do. And the servant's like, hey, I hear there's a man of God. Maybe he can pray for us. We should go see him. Okay. Saul has no idea who this person is either. But they just happen to run into each other. There we go. And... uh And this guy, Saul, he is not campaigning to be king. He's not looking to be king. In fact, he's so freaked out about being king that when his family is called, this is what they would do. They would go, okay, we're going to pray, God, you want us, you want to select the king, so you're going to do that by casting lots. Sort of like picking a name out of a hat, okay? So, ooh, tribe of Benjamin, interesting. Ooh, this family, Ooh, all of a sudden, like Samuel's name is in a smaller and smaller bucket. And then all of a sudden, it's Kish's family. And, ooh, hey, it's Saul. Where is he? I don't know. He's hiding behind the baggage. He is freaked out. I mean, we don't know, but why is he hiding behind the baggage? Does he have baggage? We'll find out. He's not, I mean, in all, I think it's very safe to say without putting thoughts in his head that he's humble, that he's innocent. Yes, he's good looking, but he is not trying to be the king. His uncle's like, how'd that donkey expedition go? He's like, oh, it's fine, we got him. Not, oh, and the prophet of God, the one that like is the best in the land, he told me that I was going to be the next king. Doesn't say that, just says, oh, we found the donkeys. That's, that's what I read from the story, is that this is a man who is not seeking that thing. He's not seeking this position. He's not trying to find, um, he's not campaigning for himself, I guess. But if we think about this story now, in light of asking for the wrong things, or asking for the right things, but with the wrong motives, or the wrong timing, And we wonder like, oh, I don't know, is God going to work it out? Well, I think if God can make some random guy lose his donkeys, have those donkeys travel through the land to just happen to meet the prophet of God, then he's probably got our lives figured out too. I mean, you could say it's random coincidence. You could. Or you could say, hmm, Maybe this is just the subtle, sovereign work of God. You know, Jesus tells a story, or, or we read in, um, it's in Matthew, this, this gospel story in Matthew 17, where, where one of Jesus' followers named Peter, he gets asked by some religious people, hey, does your teacher, does your leader pay the temple tax? Peter, always speaking before he thinks, goes, oh yeah, he does. And then runs back to Jesus like, do you really pay the temple tax? And so he's not sure. So he runs back, and what do we hear in the story? Before Peter even asks Jesus about it, he walks up and he's kind of waiting his turn to speak. At least he could do that. Jesus goes, oh, Peter, do you think we should pay the temple tax? And Peter's like, uh, well, uh, 
you know what? You know, why don't you do this? Why don't you go take a fishing pole, throw it in, go down to the lake, throw it in. You're a fisherman. You know how to do this. The first fish you catch, reel it in. Oh, by the way, there'll be a coin in there that'll pay both our temple tax. Then we're good. Matthew 17. Now, again, is that just a fabricated story? Is it crazy luck? Is it coincidence? Or is it another example of the subtle sovereign work of God in our life? See, I I really believe that God's always at work. That it's oftentimes hidden. It's often in ways that, that it's hard to see. But when we start seeing the Bible through this lens that maybe, maybe it was hard for those people to discern God's work too. Maybe they walked around going, God, I can't, I, I have, I'm having a hard time finding where you're moving. What if Samuel was thinking for months, like, okay, I sent the people home. I sent the people home saying they want a king though. Uh, and and they're, if they want a king, God, how am I going to find the king? I don't know if I'm going to find the king. Maybe Saul was a little bit, or Samuel was a little bit anxious too. Maybe it was really hard for these people to discern God's work in their life. Maybe that gives, gives us hope, because it gives me hope. It helps me realize that, that maybe the way I'm feeling is maybe some of the way that these people felt. Maybe Peter felt that way. And it helps me realize that not only does God move in kind of the big outside circumstances of like getting some donkeys to run away and meeting two men meeting up, but maybe he works in the intricate details too. See, we have to think about why these people wanted the king and we've got to think about it from God's perspective. Think about it. The people doubted God Number one. Number two, not only have they doubted God, they've asked for the wrong king. The king in the story, if you know the story, is supposed to be from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Benjamin. And if you're like, I don't get it, that's fine. Just go with me. They asked for the wrong king. So now they've doubted God. They've asked for the wrong king. And they've asked at the wrong time. And they've asked in the wrong way. And they've asked for the wrong reasons. I mean, these are like children that just don't get it. And I just, now I'm hearing my mom's voice in my head. Like, sorry. And what the people were saying is, I don't trust you, God. I don't put my hope in you. And so what does God do? Rather than just go like this, which is a lot of times what we think. That when we act dumb, when we do some not so bright stuff, ask for the wrong things at the wrong time for the wrong reasons, God just goes. But in this story, that's not at all what he does. He says, fine, if you're going to ask for the the wrong king at the wrong time, in the wrong way, for the wrong reasons, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have these guys meet up. I'm going to anoint him. I'm going to make him realize that these are my people, anoint him king over God's inheritance, and I'm going to make sure that that prophet of God reminds him, gives him three 
three things that's going to happen. It says, Samuel, Samuel says to Saul, Saul, you're going to be the next king, the next leader of God's people. Don't forget that part. God's people, not yours. God's people. And just so you know, because you're a little freaked out because you're going to go hide behind the baggage, three things are going to happen. They're going to be really unique things. You're going to meet some people. It'll be very obvious. You're going to meet some other people. It'll be very obvious. And then when you meet the third group of people, they're going to be prophets. Oh, and God's Spirit's going to change you. And that's exactly what we see. You will be changed into a different person. Saul turned to leave, and God changed Saul's heart. And all these things were fulfilled. See, I read that and go, okay, I, I, can, I can grasp that God is big enough to make like donkeys move in a certain way and kind of orchestrate some outside circumstances. Like maybe have someone smell a fire in someone's house. I think God does that. I can be okay with that. But not only that, God can work in intimate, intricate details. God can actually change someone's heart according to this. Maybe the subtle sovereign work of God goes a lot farther than we give him credit for. Because that's exactly what happens. And what I think this means is that, that God gave Saul, even though he was not supposed to be the, the, the ideal king, the ideal king was supposed to come from the land of Judah, even though that happened, God said, oh, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to make you believe that and have the courage to live out that you are under God's authority God's government, and you are my child. And, and nothing these people say can change that if you don't let it. I'm going to give you the courage to live up to this. Now next week we'll see if he actually believes it. Now, I wish I could just say, you know, we should just trust God more. Wouldn't it be great if we could just trust God more? If we could let go and let God? Maybe you think mean thoughts about people who say that stuff. Sometimes I do. But, but I don't think it'd be entirely true. I don't think we find that in the Bible narrative to be entirely true. I don't think we find truly that many people that can operate that way consistently. But, but here's what I see. I see a God who says, yeah, you have the wrong motives. You asked for the wrong God, uh, the wrong king, in the wrong way, at the wrong time, but I'm still going to change his heart. And, and you're going to have to deal with the fact. And, and what God asks the people is, where do you put your trust? Where do you put your hope? Are you depending on that king? Because if you are, you're going to be disappointed. Because I'm your king. And I think God says that very lovingly. But he doesn't back down from that. But at the same time, he's, he's so full of love and grace that he says, even still, I'm going to work through this. The big outside stuff and the intricate details of changing a man's heart. And so the people are going to be disappointed if they put their trust in Saul as king. Because God is king. But I, I don't think we're that different, are we? I mean, we have elections coming up, right? It's very easy for us to put our trust in the next leader. 
to save whatever issues are important to us. And if we put our hope just in that leader, whether they're an independent, a Green Party, a Tea Party, a Democrat, or a Republican, we're going to be disappointed. Because God is sovereign. And if we're saving money and we're putting it into a 401k and into the stock market and all our hope is there so that we can retire at age whatever, I think we've already figured out we're going to be disappointed. And if we're married and we put our trust in our spouse and just being there, we're going to be disappointed. And if we have friends and we put our trust in our friends, maybe we even put our hope in our friends, we've kind of put our friends above God, we are going to be disappointed. And if we're pursuing education and spending all this money to get this degree and we think, oh, as soon as I have the degree, I'm going to have the job. I think you're getting the picture. We're going to be disappointed. But it asks us the question, where do we put our hope? Where do we put our trust? Where do we ultimately depend on God? Do we want freedom and justice for all? Under God? I mean, that's what the prophet is saying. When, when Saul is finally made king, the prophet says, if both you and the king who rules over you follow the Lord, all will be well. Are we putting our hope in people who will let us down? And what would God say to us about that? Jesus is the one who's trustworthy. Jesus is the one who changes us. He is the one we can put our hope in, and he's paid for it. He lived the perfect life. We don't have to. He died a death and defeated sin so that we don't have to think that we need to do that on our own. And he invites us to live with him. And when we do that, we receive a lightness, a joy that permeates circumstances. And so if we're not living in that place of lightness or joy, not fake joy, but just true joy, maybe we need to let Samuel, Saul, and God speak to us. God, as we come to you, come to you to reaffirm our trust and our faith through singing and praying, God, we just pause and reflect. We reflect on, on our motives, on our timing, on our asking, and we see if those things line up with you. God, we affirm that you are sovereign even if you're subtle. We thank you for giving us room to choose and to live, even if that means sometimes we make mistakes. God, we're not minimizing sin and rebellion against you in any way. Because when we rebel, we, we pay for it. We pay for it through estrangement, first of all, pulling away in loneliness from you. But God, often brokenness with other people, 
other circumstances. But we thank you for for your grace and your love. We thank you that even when we rebel, you still work. Not only work, you transform people. So God, regardless of where we're at, we ask that you would transform us. That you would change our hearts, that we would believe that living under your government is the best thing we can do. That living in dependence on you is not weak, but it's strong. So speak to us, God, about where our trust and our hope is. Amen.